Hey, one more thing before you go. This is Michael Hurst, your host of One More Thing Before You Go. In this episode, we introduce our new monthly segment, Spotlight Sunday, where this Sunday we revisit the ghost biker, Miranda Young. She's a ghost hunter and a history buff who travels to historic, haunted locations with an all-female crew investigating the paranormal and the supernatural and ties in the historical value behind each of the locations. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. It originally aired October 27th, 2021, is episode 123, and we revisit it this Sunday. Enjoy. One more thing before you go. Have you always wanted to know whether or not ghosts are real? How about those old folklore stories? Is there any truth to them? What about the mystery of the haunted house just down the road? How did it become haunted? And of course, why are the ghosts still there? In this episode, we have a conversation with Miranda Young. She's the creator and star of the hit web series, Ghost Biker Explorations. She's going to join us today and answer these questions and more. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. This is The Thing About the Ghost Biker. My guest in this episode is the creator and star of the hit web series, Ghost Biker Explorations. She's an experienced paranormal investigator who has turned her passion for photography, history, urbex, don't worry, we'll get to that, and motorcycles into a unique and popular show that highlights history, legends, mysteries, and the unexplained. She's known as the Ghost Biker. Welcome to the show, Miranda. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. I am, I have been, I should say, not am. I am excited about and have been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been excited as well. You you have a very unique journey in life and what you've accomplished and, and where you're at. It's been diverse, but it's also been extremely interested. So if we can kind of start like uh, like in the beginning, where'd you grow up? Absolutely. So I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee, the Appalachian Mountains to be exact. And I spent a lot of time on my grandma's porch uh, listening to her tell stories about when she grew up in the early 1900s in the Appalachian Mountains and some of the folklore and some of the haints uh, that she experienced during her time. Um, my dad carried that on as well. Both he and her instilled the importance of storytelling to me. Oh, that's, that's amazing to have a family like that. Actually, it, it's a, it's a situation that, uh, not all of us have the, the gift of, of having actually. Absolutely. So, I, do you have any- it is a real gift to be able to, to share and tell these stories and to put you in the moment and put you actually in that, that scenario that they're telling about. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have, uh, I'm a middle child. I have an older brother who is an accountant, and I have a younger sister who is uh, a physical therapist. So did you, um, did you go to university? I did. I uh, graduated with a degree in advertising, uh, mass communications, and a minor in art from Middle Tennessee State University. Oh, very cool. So when you came out of college, um, well, let's start a little bit sooner than that. Have, have you always been interested in, in like ghost hunting and the paranormal and folklore stories? I have, you know, just, just hearing those stories from my grandmother really got me interested. And my dad used to take me for rides, um, you know, after work and on the weekends, he would take me back roads riding and tell me about, you know, how some of the areas used to be, because a lot of the areas where I'm from, there's, you know, town is sort of a one, two stoplight kind of town. And there are a lot of areas, a lot of backwoods areas, but those areas at one time were thriving communities. And so he would often share kind of how that used to be. And so um, from all of that and spending time in the library and reading a lot of the old Foxfire and folklore books. Um, I also was very interested in uh, the show Unsolved Mysteries. 
And that's really kind of what got me interested in the unexplained and the supernatural. And then fast forward a little bit further to my elementary school. I actually went to a haunted elementary school. And okay. I, yes, I had the okay. best librarian and she made sure that she told the story of how the doctor back in 1928, they used to, they actually used to show movies in my elementary school. And so in 1928, they were showing a comedy movie and there was a doctor who was watching this movie and he was known for his boisterous laugh. And so um, on this particular night, he was really kind of annoying some of the other moviegoers with his laughing at this, at this comedy movie. And so the deputy sheriff had warned him to be quiet. And he, you know, was telling him, if, you know, if you don't be quiet, we're going to kick you out. Instead of kicking him out, he actually ended up shooting the doctor. And during, uh, during the gunfight, he ended up shooting the sheriff as well. And so it was always rumored that um, you could hear phantom laughter, uh, phantom gunshots, as well as hear what kind of sounded like a movie playing. Um, and in this part of the elementary school, they didn't have classes in it. It was just a second floor level where they stored things. And unfortunately, they've, they've now torn it down. But um, I was so fascinated by this and by this story and the fact that our librarian for, for decades, she would share this story with, with everyone who came to the school as well as other folklore. So that really got me interested and really got me in the library trying to come in and, uh, you know, learn as much as I could about, uh, about the supernatural and unexplained. Well, what a brilliant librarian to be able to share that with the, the kids. And, and I really kudos to the parents too, for not shutting that down. Yeah. Yeah. So she would do this at, at Halloween. Um, you know, so she would have, you know, she would decorate the library up for Halloween and, and usually have a haunted tunnel that you could crawl through. And she would tell these stories. And that was always her grand finale story. My parents were teachers. And so um, I can remember spending a lot of time after hours at the school with my friends, you know, while my parents would be working in their classrooms and such. And we would be kind of daring each other to go up to that level of the school, you know, and see if we could hear any of the phantom laughter or see if we could capture any of the things that was rumored to happen. So we were ghost hunting at a very young age before, before it became uh, the thing to do from, from TV shows and such. Well, very cool. Now, the, the question of the day is, did you get you get to hear it or see it? You know, I never heard anything. Um, you know, we would hear, uh, we did think that one time we heard a phantom gunshot, but, uh, no, I never experienced any of the things that, that they had said. Well, you know, it, it and I, I think, um, obviously I think you know this, but, um, children, um, have a unique, uh, perspective of being able to see, hear yes. uh, imaginary friends, which sometimes turn mm -hmm. out to be a spirit or a ghost, which I think is, you know, very cool, actually. Yeah. And that's actually when I was a member of a team, uh, we did a lot of residential cases. And if somebody contacted us and said that, you know, that their child was experiencing something that would always move to the top of the list in priorities, because when a child is involved, we, you know, it, it takes on its own sense of urgency. But when you start hearing about imaginary friends and, and um, playing with, you know, somebody who's not there and such, you really kind of start to think, okay, there, there may possibly very well be something that they're experiencing because children are so pure and, right. you know, they can really, you know, from my experience, they, they really can experience this activity and they experience it a lot more than uh, we do as adults. Yeah. I think that society, unfortunately, kind of uh, sets the precedence for closing that window for people to be able to kind of see, for kids to be able to see. As the girl, you're just, but no, you can't do that. No, it's not true. Stop believing that. You know, you're just playing around or you're trying to get attention. And mm -hmm. in reality, then they start closing that, that window to the speak. Which is yeah. And I think that's, I think that's our problem as adults. I mean, we've, we've got to that point, you know, we've been told over time that it's like, you know, that's just your imagination or, you know, that's, that's not the way things are supposed to be. 
Um, so I think that society has been really kind of what's closed us off as, uh, as adults to that. I think, do you think a religion has a, a, a play in that? I do. I do. Especially, um, the area that I come from, um, I'm, I'm a Christian and, uh, have a very strong, uh, faith background, been in church all my life, but being in Tennessee in the middle of the Bible belt, uh, I do believe that that does play a part in it. Um, I think that uh, that plays a part sometimes in kind of shutting it down. But then on on the other side, I think that that has kind of shaped some of our belief structures as to what we may be communicating with. If if it is a per someone that used to be a person, or if in some cases it may be something darker and something that was not necessarily human. I think that um, the religious faith uh, can kind of shape some of the theories and stuff that we have with what we're actually speaking with. Yeah, I agree with you on there. I, um, I grew up Catholic. I'm not a practicing yeah. Catholic. I'm old, and they were real strict. What you can believe in, whether it be angels or demons, whatever the case may be. And um, I, I had experiences with both when I was uh -huh. younger. About nine, ten years old, something like that. No matter what the Catholic Church would have said, it's like this experience was real. It was right. V kind of a situation. So I understand. Um, yeah. So when you got out of college, I know that that, that you did you you went into graphic design and photography, right? I did. I went into graphic design, photography, and marketing, and I worked as a marketing executive for the past twenty years. Oh, very cool. See, my daughter, our youngest daughter, actually, you guys have something in common. She is a graphic designer. She's into graphic design and marketing and actually worked in Tennessee for, for a time um, with a company out there before, before the pandemic uh, caused her to uh, be laid off during that time period. Uh, but she really enjoyed that. So it's kind of, yeah. kind of a neat question. But that that love of that and that, that expertise kind of launched you into a little, kind of got you more involved in professional paranormal. It did, you know, so, so with my background, I do the creative side of marketing and, uh, was, you know, have been a photographer and marketing executive for the past 20 years. And, um, that's actually what got me approached by the team that I was a member of and how I actually started investigating um, I had started a job at uh, a really uh, an international company here in East Tennessee, and one of the HR professionals, he had seen my background that I had spent a lot of time uh, taking photographs. And so he actually approached me one day and said, I would love for you to look at some images. And he said, you know, it was it was kind of funny the way he approached me. He was like, don't freak out. I'm going to ask you something kind of strange that maybe you've not been asked before. But he said, would you look at some images and go through and give me your professional opinion? And so I, I agreed to it. And what he had done is he had passed along several images from some of the investigations that they had been on. And he was wanting me to look at those photos and determine if there was some type of logical explanation or some type of, um, you know, electronic or uh, mechanical reason that they had captured some of the images that they had. And so, you know, two photos turned into four and four turned into six and six turned into 20. And in order to pay me back, they invited me to go on an investigation with them. And it was two co-founders from the team and myself, and they let me invite a friend along with me. And so we actually investigated a local bar and restaurant that was on a marina in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so, um, you know, you watch all of the paranormal TV shows and see kind of how, how they do it, ghost adventures, ghost hunters. And I really didn't know what to expect going to this location with, with these two guys. And I thought, you know, is it going to be like you see on TV? Is it going to be totally different? So there was that mix of anxiety and nervousness, but also excitement. And so it actually turned out to be a very cool and a very active investigation. Um, I was touched for the first time. We had direct intelligent responses to our questions. We even captured some Class A EVPs, which are electronic voice phenomena or voices that are just 
we didn't have any um, ITC or any type of aid to help in communication. These were just voices we were able to pull out of the air and capture on our recorders. And so through that, because we had so much good luck, they let me review my own recorder and review my own photographs. And then they invited me on another investigation, which was of a local school. And this was sort of, um, we were we were invited in, but we weren't able to publicize where we were at. It was a, a private investigation. And after that, we had, you know, kind of the same response. Um, they ended up inviting me to join the team. And so I was a member of the team for eight years before I went off and started uh, doing ghost biker explorations on my own. Well, eight years, that's eight years of uh, unique experiences, I'm sure. Absolutely. We had, we did both commercial locations, which are the large locations like Waverly Hills Sanitarium, um, Sloss Furnaces, Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. We did a lot of those big commercial locations, but we also did a lot of residential locations. And these would be where people would either call us into their homes or they would call us into their businesses to check it out. Now, you know, we, we never got paid for it or anything like that. We didn't, we didn't charge, but we would go in and we would evaluate their claims, try to look for logical explanations and um, try to capture compelling evidence that could potentially be unexplained. And so um, some of these residential cases, usually what we do when we're contacted, we'll then, you know, keep, we'll do an investigation and then we'll keep in contact with them and go back if we're, you know, to kind of follow up with what we captured during the investigation and sometimes even turn into longer cases for us. And so, um, so it was, there was a lot of unique experiences and I feel like I really learned a lot from these guys. Uh, at the time I was the only female member on the team and there were five of us total. And um, my background on the team, since my background was in marketing and photography, I did their photo analyzing. I also did the marketing for the team on social media sites. And then I also did, um, if, you know, whenever we were doing capturing the evidence and everything, I would put those in and compile those into videos and audio clips that we were able to showcase on the social media pages. So you did this. I mean, it was a kind of a hobby turned professional, right? Uh, it was, it was, you know, there's really, um, and, and as far as with ghost biker explorations, uh, too, we never charge for, you know, to go in or anything like that. Um, because it's, it's still more of a pseudoscience, but, um, to be able to, you know, my, my web series and everything is self-produced. And, um, you know, but I go around speaking and, you know, doing different events like that, speaking about what we find. Well, uh, you know, uh, yeah, obviously you can become a, you can become professional at what you do. You yes. You necessarily have to charge for that professionalism. Yes. Which is. Exactly. I mean, I mean it, what a job. I mean, whether it's hobby, whether it's a job, it's, I mean, what a job. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And it has, I mean, it's turned into a full-time job. I mean, from just putting these episodes together, marketing them, and then speaking on, on them and, and going to different locations and speaking at their historical societies and working towards historical preservations. The whole thing has, it's, it's given me a lot of unique opportunities and to, to grow in this and, and like you said, but become professional with it. Well, and you said he, when you said unique, you have a unique approach about this because you kind of um, you do the same thing Chris Sumner does. You yes. kind of uh, integrate the historical aspect of where you're at uh -huh. with, with what may be happening in those locations, which I think is yes. profound uh, from from your perspective and you know from others' perspective, especially people like Chris. Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, that's actually what caused us to become great friends is through the paranormal and the fact that, cause, cause you have a lot of different paranormal investigators out there. You have ones that, um, will kind of specialize, some might specialize in poltergeist type activity. Some might specialize in more of the dark entities. And then you have others that go into the angels and the demons sort of side of things. Both Dr. Sumner and I, we focus on the historical aspect, really telling that historical narrative, 
telling the history, the stories. And I take mine a step further since I am a biker. And I, I always highlight three parts during my episodes. I highlight the travel to the location and talk about the town and any kind of interesting facts. And then I share the history and then go into the actual paranormal investigation. The paranormal is actually kind of third when it comes to it. You know, if we get paranormal activity, that's great. But uh, and we've been very fortunate and actually gotten quite a bit when we go to these different locations. But the locations that I pick, I always tell people that even if I didn't get any type of paranormal activity, I'm still highlighted as an episode just because I like to pick locations that have a great history that I'm able to share and, and hopefully sh- share with someone that maybe they don't they don't know that history or know about that location. Yeah, I think one of the interesting episodes that I watched was one where it was the old set of uh, one of the Hunger Games, actually. And yeah. just the, the buildings in themselves, the fact that they're still standing there and what they stood for in the first place is a, a very unique approach to to an investigation. I mean, obviously everybody knows I'm a retired police sergeant, so my form of investigation was a little bit different, but the methodology and, and the technique and the the intrigue is mm-hmm. the same, is the same. I mean, that's something that it's like, yeah, to be in the middle of history like that and to walk through, what's it like to walk through history? It, exactly. That's, that's my favorite part. You know, my parents, I'd mentioned earlier, they were teachers and they would always take us when we had the summers off, we would take these big, long band trips and go to go across country. And we would always hit an amusement park, a history location. And to go to these locations, I can remember as a child going into, you know, President Andrew Jackson's home or Eisenhower's house or to, you know, Henry River Mill Village, going to these different locations and hearing the story and hearing what the tour guide said. And inevitably, somebody would always ask, is this place haunted? And the tour guide would usually have some really cool stories, even if somebody didn't ask that most of those places they would add in and they would say, you know, there's ghosts here and here's some of the things we've experienced. So being able to come back as an adult, go in there, spend the night in these locations, go behind the scenes of what a lot of people don't get to see and actually spend the evening and spend time just immersing yourself in that history. It's, it's amazing. And for me, it's, it's very humbling and just, uh, you know, I find myself Sometimes I just take time and I just sit and just be because, you know, to be in these locations, it's just, it's really hard to put into words sometimes the feelings that you get whenever, you know, when you're sitting in the middle of the Lizzie Borden house or, you know, sitting um, at just these places that just have such a, such a crazy history to them. Yeah, that's amazing. My my wife and I, no matter what show we watch, we're watching a series now with, uh, uh, the castles of, of uh, Europe, actually. And they're all over England and they're all over France. And um, we just kind of ran out of things to watch last year. So we found these things. And, you know, we start watching what they're doing and what they're walking through. And the first thing that comes to our mind is two things, actually. One is, wow, to be walking and touching history would be amazing for the things that happened that took place there. And if the walls could talk, you know, yes. what, what really would be said because we see what's written, but we don't always know what's really inbred within, within those buildings and in those grounds. And the second thing is, I wonder what kind of ghosts are there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's what I think every time I'm in anywhere like that is, you know, what type of ghosts are, are the spirits who were part of that history, the ones that we're here speaking with, or is it something else that could be associated with the land? You know, those are definitely questions that I have. And, you know, just uh, like I said, to be in that situation. um, And I like to kind of, when I go in, put myself in there and try to imagine what it would be like to have lived here during this time. And to be able to to sit in in those houses and experience that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And to be able to talk to these spirits and share their story, um, that's, that's the best part. You know, it's a pr- I mean, what a privilege, really, because you have an opportunity Absolutely. to communicate with something that is still here that mm-hmm. um, maybe had something, again, it, uh, my show, one more thing before you go, maybe they're still here because they have something to say 
and they didn't get the opportunity to say it. Absolutely. You know, they get to maybe open that door and say, hey, listen to me. Okay. So let's talk about how'd you come up with it? How'd you come up with the, uh, the name, the ghost biker? Well, so as I said, I'd been a member of the team for about eight years. And I found that while I was investigating with the team during my spare time, I would actually go out, ride my motorcycle any opportunity I could. And I was going and visiting some of these different locations um, and, and sh sharing their pictures and highlighting them on my social media. And so those pictures had really started to gain a lot of interest and a lot of questions. People were asking me, you know, are these places haunted? What's the story behind them? Because a lot of the places that I was going to were typically abandoned locations or places that had their own type of creepy, beautiful um, look to them, but they weren't typically places that people would, nat would naturally go. And so um, I was also riding my motorcycle to a couple of the investigations with the team. And I was talking to a friend and we were we were kind of joking and I said, you know, just, just call me the ghost biker. And so she was like, you know, I would watch that if that was a show. And so I really kind of started thinking about it. And between that and the um, conversation that my photos were generating, I thought, you know, what a cool thing to do, you know, combine the motorcycle with the paranormal and the history. And, you know, instead of documenting these pictures and all of this on the social media, why don't I actually document these travels through video? And so being marketing minded and being a graphic designer, I actually sat down, started really kind of thinking and planning it out. And so I decided that um, if I was going to do this, I wanted to actually kind of release it like a series or a season, if you will rather than just releasing an episode here or there when I would investigate, really put some time and effort into marketing this out. And so I decided that I was going to release my episodes all in October, bank them all up, you know, and, and release them as a season. And that I wanted them to be 20 to 40 minutes. I wanted to keep them, you know, I, I kind of joke and I say I wanted to keep them um, like a woman's skirt, keep them short enough to pull attention, but also long enough to cover all the important parts. And so, um, so that's really how I kind of set these up. The, the average person's attention span is around 20 minutes. And so I thought, you know, I didn't want to have something overwhelming that, you know, somebody would sit down and, and they would say, well, I would like to watch this, but I don't really have time. So, um, so I put these episodes together and came up with, uh, with the name Ghost Biker Explorations and really did, you know, heavy marketing on it, uh, leading up to it. And then, you know, the episodes they release on a Tuesday night every October. And so on Thursdays, because I have a lot of people who aren't investigators that follow the show, I use the Thursday night to talk about the tools that I use as well as the actual location. And I open it up as a live stream so that people can come in and they can actually ask me questions about it. And I don't have to spend that time on the locations. And yeah, and I, and I really wanted to make sure too that I covered locations that maybe people hadn't really heard of. Um, you know, I always tell people, if you take a map and close your eyes, and touch anywhere on that map, I guarantee you that anywhere you touch, you're going to find somewhere that has some type of local story or some type of, of history that you can actually look into and see if it can potentially be haunted. And so, um, so that's really how I kind of kept that with Ghost Biker. And um, I ended up stepping away from the team because in order to, I was doing a lot with the team, but in order to make Ghost Biker successful, I wanted to devote more time to it and I didn't feel that was fair to the team so um so I stepped away and and at this point we're rolling into the fourth season that's coming up here in October and um it took off and became a became very successful uh, a lot quicker than I had anticipated that it would well it's because everybody everybody's interested in paranormal everybody's interested yes. in do they exist or don't they exist um is there proof is there no proof um, yes. Are there really, is there really somebody here? Is that a voice I really heard? You know what I mean? It's, it's, mm -hmm. I think everybody has an interest no matter what, where you come from, what background you come from. 
um, at least in the conversations that I've had on my program, you know, mm -hmm. everybody has a question. Is there yes. something on the other side? Is there exactly. something in between here mm -hmm. in the other side? And, you know, I've, I've had, I've been grateful and, and happy enough to have um, conversations with, uh, with, as my listeners know, and anybody of the new listeners, you need to go back and check out some of the older episodes. I've talked with people about angels and dark angels and yes. angels and um, other beings and things within that this, the possibility of what exists in this world and, okay. and on the other side of this world. So it's what a unique perspective that you get to do every day, which is, yeah. which is number one, you, you get people's questions answered. You know, for, for a good portion of that, I'm sure that it answers questions. It gets some closure. It says, yeah, I'm not uh -huh. nuts. Yes, I did hear that. Yes, I did see that. From your perspective, um, what, um, what was, give me, give me a taste of what, what was one of your favorite episodes and say your favorite, I should say favorite places that you visit. Oh, wow. I've had so many that, you know, they're all so unique. Uh, probably one of my favorite experiences was at Brushy Mountain State Prison. And, um, I actually ended up sleeping for three and a half hours in the solitary confinement unit. I've actually investigated that particular prison on six different occasions, and it's always been active every time. But um, this particular time, I think this was probably the third time I had investigated there. I'd investigated all night, and I decided that I was going to uh, take some time and sleep. I actually like to sleep at some of these locations because I feel like it really puts me in that vulnerable state. And, you know, you're kind of on that different astral plane whenever you're sleeping. And so if I have the opportunity to lay down and sleep for a few hours during an investigation, I always like to do that. And on this particular occasion, I had audio recorders out as well as video recorders. I was, other than the two people who were staying in the office there, just in case there were any issues, um, I was the only person on the entire property that morning. And so I ended up sleeping and I captured three minutes and 15 seconds of some of the best class A EVPs, uh, residual and intelligent that, that I've ever captured. And I was able to have the cameras out there and show that nobody was coming in the doors. Uh, I caught, I mean, these footsteps that we hear on this I mean, they, they sound so loud. They're the best footprints I've ever caught. And inside the cell, so it's pitch black because they call it the hole because you are literally down in a hole. And um, I believe, and I did not hear it in the moment. I didn't hear anything. I actually slept the best that I've ever slept. And um, I actually ended up having something, it walked to the door. And after I'd been asleep for about 20 minutes, it, it tells me night-night, and it's this deep, gravelly voice. Um, it tells me night-night, and then I tried to document the time that each of these occurrences happened, but we were capturing voices speaking between the cells, conversations, things saying, help me, and there was no power in this location at this time. Now, Brushy Mountain now is, is a tourist attraction. They make uh, moonshine there. They also have a restaurant. But at this time, it was not built up. Uh, they hadn't even torn down some of the buildings that they took down. It wasn't open to the public. And so um, I captured the residual of, it sounds like a uh, washing machine. Like so, the washing machine is up above the hole. And it sounds like someone has put clothes in and is running the dryer. And again, there's no power in there. So, um, so it was, that's probably one of my favorite just because. I felt like I felt like they were kind of like, who is this person asleep in in this this area? You know, so um, yeah. Help us help us to understand what a class A is. Sure. So there are several different types of EVPs, which are electronic voice phenomena. The class A ones are the ones that there's no mistake what you're hearing. Um, the response is clear, and it doesn't have to be. Um, a direct response, but um, because, and that's kind of the difference between the residual 
as well as the intelligent. But an intelligent class A EVP, they are responding to either what you're asking or what you're doing. And I judge my EVPs when I'm sitting there listening to the audio. I judge, do I have, how many times do I have to go back and listen to it? Is it something that's coming through clear? And if I play it for somebody else, do they get it at the first time without me telling them what uh, what we're hearing? And, and, you know, of course, these EVPs, sometimes they're up for debate as to what it's actually saying. But there are other times where it's as clear as can be and you don't, um, you know, you don't have any question about what's what's being said. But that's what I would classify as a Class A EVP. That's it. Very interesting. Um, have you ever come face to face with a ghost? I feel like there's times I have now, as far as actually seeing one, I have not seen a full body apparition directly in front of me. Um, there have been, I have seen, I did see my first shadow figure, uh, there at Brushy Mountain and I have captured a few unexplained, uh, things on video, but I've never came around a corner and actually seen, uh, a full body apparition. Yeah, I don't know what it would do if I did that. It would be Neither. one of those. It'd be one of those very cool, but what the heck? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, excuse me, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> uh, you know, you. Uh, it would be. Uh, I think it would be interesting. I've I've had my, an experience with demons. I told you that. You know, earlier when, uh, when we were first talking, that in itself was enough for me. Uh, I've always had it an inclination to want to see a ghost. I think we all kind of want to see a ghost. Mm -hmm. It gives us a validation as to, you know, the possibility of what's there and what's not. You know, I know that uh, I, we can sense president. We can, let me try that in English. We can sense presence around us at times. You can feel cold air. Sometimes you can, sometimes something will get knocked off the counter or sometimes mm -hmm. knocked off the table or you know, the end table. Um, kind of thing. That do you feel that, or would you think that that's a, a presence within the within the house? Uh, you know, it depends. Anything else that uh, I always try to look at. You know, any other logical explanations. Um, but the personal experience and the feelings are something that it's very hard to measure with the equipment. Um, but that's something that can't be discounted. So I do feel like a lot of the time that those can be indicators of something present. I mean, we've had some um, cases that we've done as far as residual, or I mean, excuse me, residential cases, that it's been just straight up personal experiences and not necessarily, um, you know, a, anything that we've been able to actually measure with uh, our, our tools. And so, so yeah, that's, I, I feel like that can't be discounted, that that can be a sign. You've ever been scared? Not typically. Uh, I've had moments where I've been a little taken aback or been startled. But for me, for the most part, um, it, it takes a lot to scare me. And I always keep in mind that that's why I'm there. Um, I don't go in. Now, let me let me say this. I, I am fascinated by the darker cases. And I usually will cover a couple of them uh, per season. But um, for me, for the most part, I really don't go in looking for the uh, dark, the uh, demonic. I go in with a more historical uh, perspective on it. And of course, you never know what you're going to experience when you're when you're there. And even going to some of the darker locations, I have um, actually had positive experiences and not some of the same negative experiences. And I believe at times it's kind of what you, your intention and what you bring into those locations. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, that's, that's what I, I, I don't look for the dark when I, yeah, like, like, I think we've watched ghost adventures. We haven't seen yeah. it for a long time, but you know, Zach has got a very, uh, innate curiosity that takes him to that level on numerous occasions. And, there's a few places that they visited that I don't think I would go into. And I, I mean, I'm not afraid of, I'm not really not afraid of anything, but I'm, mm -hmm. I would be hesitant about going to those. Yeah, I think you kind of have to, like I said, a lot of it is intention of what you're going in and how you feel about that. 
Um, you know, it's, you know, like I said, a lot, there's a lot I don't understand and that can be scary. But when I go in, cause a couple, you know, the Sunset Hill house that I investigated, that was a very dark location. Revenant Acres was rumored to be dark and uh, Willow's Weep as well. And, um, you know, the two of them, Revenant Acres, I mean, there was, were stories about the entity not being, um, very accepting or happy with with women and they were usually more aggressive toward women so it was myself and another female investigator that went there and we were really kind of wanting to see if some of the claims were true uh willow's wheat it's it's rumored to be the uh, most evil house in america and so um i wanted to go in and see if if those claims were true i really didn't want to know what other investigators had got at that location because I didn't want that to jade or taint what I got or change my mindset. But I had read um, the claims as far as what was supposed to be there, not so much the experiences. And uh, from all accounts, I started reading some books after I had done the investigation. And what I experienced there was totally different than what some of the different investigators had experienced that went in thinking that it was the most evil house in America, you know? So I think it's just all about where you put yourself. Perspective. Yeah. I think, um, obviously going, wanting to go into the most evil house in America would already put the kind of a new nudge in the direction they're going, I'm expecting you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a very oppressive house and, uh, things were kind of depressing, but, um, I didn't feel it to be evil myself. That's interesting. What's your favorite legend that you investigated? My favorite legend would have to be the uh, legend of the uh, of the monk. He, uh, I covered this one in episode two of season one, and uh, it said that, and and it actually ended up leading to a very big residential case. But um, the story goes, and it comes out of Charleston, Tennessee. And it says that there was a monk who had boarded a train in um, Maryland and was riding the train down to New Orleans. And the train ended up wrecking in Charleston, Tennessee, during a, a major flood in the late 1860s. And so this wreck was so bad and there were so many casualties and so much injury that um, the local homes in this area, they took in some of the injured and the depot ended up being a location, a uh, temporary morgue for the dead. And so this particular doctor, it said that he had recovered this monk's body. And because he was a monk, uh, they didn't believe that he would have any family or anyone that would be looking for him. And so um, the doctor took the monk's body back to his house and he dissolved the skin from the bones in his tub. And so um, I shared this story, went up and I actually told the story at the uh, crash site or where we believe that the train wreck had occurred. And then I went over and actually did an investigation at the train wreck site. And I used um, just my regular recorder and I also used a spirit box. And I got some really interesting responses from this spirit box, which is a modified AM/FM radio, and the theory is that the spirits will use this white noise to communicate over this this uh, modified radio. So we did the outside investigation, and a few weeks later, I actually was able to come in contact with a family who had a, had acquired the monk's tub from an estate sale, or excuse me, the doctor's tub from an estate sale. And they had acquired this tub back in, uh, I think, in the 80s. And they had uh, ended up storing it in this home that they owned, but they hadn't lived in the home for about 12 years. And so they gave me access to go in and do some uh, experiments to this supposedly haunted bathtub. And while I was there, I was getting so much activity that I didn't know if it was coming from the house or coming from the tub. So I went up onto the second level because the tub was stored in the basement, went up to the second level, put a recorder, put some tools up there. And the whole time we were trying to record, we would catch sounds of what sounded like somebody dragging a body across the floor. 
somebody throwing items. Yeah, you would think there was a party going on upstairs and there was nobody in the house. And so I talked to the homeowner and she had, in fact, had activity since um, the late 70s, early 80s and um, gave us permission. It was just myself and my videographer had given us permission to investigate the house. And that ended up turning into a a year-long case. So that was definitely my favorite um, folklore story that I was able to investigate that then turned into a very large-scale investigation from that. Yeah, that's amazing. It also is a really good uh, quote to a buy new. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Because you never know. (laughs) (laughs) You hear all the time about antiques and everything. Yeah, it's, well, it's actually something as personal as a bathtub. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, yes. you don't know what's been done in that bathtub, especially like dissolving all the skin off somebody's body. And then, you know, my wife would kill me if I'd run a bathtub. Well, kind of, I got a new bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> and what was interesting was um, that I think I had left out was he had dissolved the uh, skin from the bones to use the skeleton in his office. And so, um, supposedly wow. back at that time, a doctor's office wasn't considered a doctor's office if it didn't have a skeleton in it. And so that was uh, rumored as to how he had received his skeleton. The macabre. Holy smokes. Yes. <laughs> so does, does, all this, does all of this give you a different, uh, like a spiritual perspective on it? Uh, I think so. Um, as I had said before, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and um, have had, you know, always had a strong faith, but this has really strengthened that. Um, you know, it's just really strengthened my, my faith in an afterlife. And, uh, you know, I, my theories as to what we're talking to and um, are not what we're talking to, but, but where if it's an alternate dimension or if or exactly what that changes from time to time. But I have no doubt, you know, just from some uh, over the 12 years of doing this, that, that we are communicating with people who have passed on. There, there, the possibility is there, that they are there. I mean, we yes. appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about where can somebody find you? Absolutely. So people can find me through my website, ghostbikerexplorations.com. That actually has all the past seasons as well as I upload uh, new episodes every Thursday of my weekly live stream, Shop Talk Live from the Ghost Biker Garage onto there. It also, you can purchase Ghost Biker merch as well as um, I'm an artist and I draw a lot of these haunted and historic locations. So those are found on there. Um, probably the best way to find me is on Facebook, um, which is under Ghost Biker Explorations as well. I do a lot of lives and uh, do a lot of different posts about my travels so people can find me there. And also on Instagram under Runaway Vixen, which is where I post uh, all of my photography. Um, all of my episodes are also on YouTube as well as my weekly live stream. And, um, you know, we're really trying to beef up the YouTube following so that that we can, <clears throat> excuse me, so that we can go live on that format as well. So, and that's under Ghost Biker Explorations. And I'll have all of that stuff in the, um, all that contact information in the show notes as well for everybody. So not only do you have it here, but you also have it um, in the show notes so that you can make contact with you and whether or not they, maybe somebody can bring you another ghost story, another opportunity, Absolutely. another supernatural opportunity that you can get to investigate. Do you investigate all over the United States or just on the East Coast? I do. I travel all over. Um, you know, I do a lot on the East Coast just because that's where I'm at, but I travel all over and I love for people to reach out to me either through Facebook, um, the website, or even YouTube, people can do it that way. I love for them to reach out to me about their stories. I get a lot of the stories from uh, books that talk about local folklore in areas. And I've had people even send me books from their hometown that talks about the specific stories. So I love the stories and I love um, the personal experiences. That's where I like to get a lot of them from. Yeah, so if you're out there and you and you have an interesting story, you have a folklore legend, you have something that needs to be investigated, you know, be sure to contact Miranda. This is one more thing before we go. So before we leave, is there anything, any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners, our viewers? Um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, for this, it's like you've got to keep an open mind. 
And if you have an interest in it, you know, don't don't run out and invest in the most expensive equipment because there are a ton of equipment and things out there. I always tell people, keep an open mind, be patient. And if you're interested in it, just get a simple recorder or even your phone, anything to use to document and go out, go to those locations, read and take in as much history as possible and just ask questions. You know, go ask questions and see if you're able to capture anything. And then if you find that the interest um, is there, you know, talk to people and try to learn as much as you can from people who go out and do it all the time. That's a great opportunity. That's a great words of wisdom. Get somebody else interested in joining the, joining the, uh, the profession, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, we all bring so many unique things to to the paranormal uh, side of things. I mean, I'm constantly learning from other investigators. You know, there's there's no such thing as a stupid um, as a stupid experiment. You know, because we don't know. There's so many questions we have, and you can't really limit. Uh, you know, if a spirit wants to talk to you through a smoke alarm, you know, they they will um, in, in whatever way that, that they're able to communicate and get your attention. So, um, you know, don't stop learning and really kind of take in what others are doing and, and keep that open mind. Very good. I'll say it very much. Thank you very much, Miranda, for sharing your journey, sharing your stories and inspiring and motivating people to look what's beyond. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining this conversation. And one more thing before you go. Don't forget, we are on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all of your favorite listening platforms. Please support us and subscribe. It's free. Watch for our unique apps that are being developed and sponsored by Superpass. They're coming out on iOS and Google. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.